It's time to sit back and relax with your favorite drink. And listen. The Forest Gate Wilson Rawls wrote, It's strange indeed how memories can lie dormant in a man's mind for so many years, yet those memories can be awakened and brought forth fresh and anew, just by something you've seen or something you've heard, or the sight of a familiar face. And those words seem to ring true in my mind lately. How many things do you have in your daily life that you don't notice because it's become background noise? It just blends into the scenery, and you know it's there, but you don't spend any time thinking of it. And then, it's as if, given so much time being ignored, the memory needs to call out to you and remind you of its existence, and the item becomes clearer than it was, whether you want to remember or not. Such a thing happened to me recently with a framed photo that caught my eye from its place on my desk, and... I now feel compelled to get this memory out in hopes it will alleviate the harsh pain I've held on to for so long. I don't know if it'll work that way, but I have to try something to get rid of this, to get it out of my head, to let at least a piece of it go. I need relief. I'm not going to pretend that I have plenty of memories that include my older brother and sister smiling or happy. I simply can't. I've seen photos, sure, but I was young when they went away and don't have any strong memories, save one which is still only a snapshot of time and a bit shaky. That single memory is one I've done my best to hold on tight to, and I keep a picture from that day to remind me. The photo is a simple one of a set of 14-year-old twins holding up their little sister on their shoulders, which we pressed together to cradle the seven-year-old version of myself. We were all soaked after having a water fight with some of the neighbourhood kids. Oh, I can't remember who all played or how a winner was determined, and looking back now, I don't think there was one, but back then, Rebecca and Travis lifted me up and declared that I won the whole battle for us, while my mother snapped the picture. That day was only weeks before our family would be altered and scarred forever. Twenty-two years later, and I still keep that photo in a frame on my desk. It's behind some others because it's difficult for me to look at, but I can't also bring myself to tuck it away in some box in a closet, not to be included in my life. So, uh, to address the basics, my sister spent over a decade in a mental institution after, as my parents always put it, a traumatic and horrific event that broke her mind and spirit and took our Travis away from us. I wouldn't understand much of what was happening back then until I was older. In a nutshell, my brother, sister, and two best friends went exploring in a forest while on a trip. Becca was the only one who survived whatever happened to them. Years later, as a curious teenager, I looked for any information I could find publicly, but was met with a big, fat nothing. This only served to piss me off and demand answers from my parents. They refused, only saying that forests are dangerous places. They wouldn't even tell me where this particular forest was. After any persistent inquiry I made to them, my mother would sequester herself in her bedroom for days. I could hear her bouts of sobbing sometimes, and her whispering to herself. I never could tell what she was saying, though. My father would be the opposite. He would put on an attitude that was so chipper it was obviously fake, and offer to take me shopping or do some sort of activity that focused on me. Oh, 
to this day I still think of him doing this whenever I hear the phrase, fake it till you make it. They were good parents, though, despite all of this. I didn't know at the time, I was too young to understand it, but they held themselves together as best they could while trying to keep the three of us a family. I also didn't know until I was older that they visited my sister often once she was allowed to see people. She was the reason we moved to another state. I knew that from day one, as they would openly tell me that they wanted to get her the best help possible and still be close to her. Once I turned 17, they let me join them on visits, but I only went once. When I turned 18, they told me that I could visit her on my own, but I never could bring myself to do so. It was difficult seeing her there and trying to think of things to talk about with this person that I knew was my sister, but felt like a stranger. I'd spent more than half of my life at that point as an only child. My siblings were ghosts, and I'd learned to accept that. But physically, I was the only one around. This made it hard to make any connection with her. Well, I wish I'd tried. A few months before I turned 19, Becca was released into the care of my parents. She'd spent 12 years there. I was at college by then, but talked to her on the phone a couple of times and planned to spend most of my summer there. As you can imagine, it didn't go as planned. Two months after going home, Becca left in the middle of the night and showed up at my door around seven in the morning. I vaguely recognized the person standing there when I opened the door, groggy and still half asleep. From my drowsy perspective, she looked like a lost young woman, tired and a bit disheveled, as if she was running from something or someone. Abby? she asked. Her voice seemed to sit on the edge of tears. Yes, I said. Her response came as a sigh of relief, and arms thrown around my neck in a tight hug. Ugh! I managed to choke out. She pulled back and held me at arm's length, her hands gripping my shoulders as she looked me up and down. I missed out on you growing up, she said. I stared at her for a second as recognition sparked in my mind, and I asked, Rebecca? She nodded briefly and smiled. I motioned for her to come inside and asked if she wanted any coffee. I could go over all the small specifics of morning coffee and asking why she was there, if our parents knew where she was. They didn't, but she had left a note. Our agreement for her to hang out while I attended two finals that day, all the plans for us to order a pizza and talk that night. And I could go into detail of how she seemed haunted, or like she wanted to say something but was holding back. I could explain all of those tiny moments, but honestly, those aren't that important. That evening, that evening after we scarfed down a large pepperoni pizza, I asked her again why she'd come, not buying her excuse from earlier that she needed some air. She was quiet for a moment, and looked at her hands in her lap. I have to go she said in a small voice. Go, it's late. You can stay here, even hang out for a few days, and then ride back with me to Mom's and Dad's, I said. No, she said. She looked up at me and shook her head softly. I have to go back there. Back where, I asked. To the forest, she said. Her eyes pleaded for me to understand, or at least accept what she was saying. You mean that place where everything happened? Why? I asked, becoming concerned. 
my mind started swimming with thoughts and memories. I still had no idea what had actually happened, and as much as I wanted to sate my curiosity, I wasn't about to ask my sister, the one who had been so broken after the event that she was shut away for my entire life. I didn't think she'd want to talk about it, or even if she did, I didn't think she really could without some sort of setback. I don't know how to explain it. I can't voice it, but I want you to read something after I leave tomorrow, she said. When will you be back? I asked. I don't know, she replied. I tried to get her to explain further, but once I realized she wouldn't, or possibly couldn't, I suggested that she spend another couple of days with me to enjoy the time we had together by watching a movie. Both of us participated in willfully pretending there wasn't anything hanging over our heads as we spent the rest of the evening hanging out. We spent some more time talking after the movies and before bed. Well, I did most of the talking. Becca wanted to know everything about my life, and I tried to tell her as much as I could think of. It was a strange longing I felt then, and still feel sometimes. Missing a sister I'd never had, and wanting her to know everything and be a part of my life as if she'd been there all along. The next morning I found an empty couch, a folded blanket, a pillow and a notebook, but no Rebecca. There was no tearful goodbye, no long hug, no promise to stay in touch. Becca had left before I'd woken up. Initially I thought she hadn't left a note, but once I read through the little book she left, I found one scrawled in there, addressed to me. There wasn't much in the notebook, and it looked like a continuation from another book, almost the ending of a story. It shed some light on what had happened twelve years before, but at the time I thought it was more of an indication of her broken mind while she was in the mental hospital. Or later, my mind would change. There was no date on the entry, but it read as such. There it was. Finally, I'd made it. I found the gate. I could leave the forest. I pushed my body up, dried leaves and twigs crunching and poking into the palms of my aching hands. Couldn't give in to the pain of my body, though. I had to get up. I reached for the lowest branch of a nearby tree and grabbed for it. My hand met something slick, and my grasp didn't take, making me lose balance. I collided with the ground once more. The side of my face that met with the earth instantly felt as if it was on fire. I gave it no more than two seconds before I took as deep a breath as I could and pushed myself up again. I couldn't put much weight on my injured knee, so I did my best to balance on the other one. Once on my hands and one good knee, I began to pant, struggling to breathe. Just get up, damn it. You will never be forgiven. That broken multitude of voices from the trees echoed around me. I don't care, I yelled back. I just want to live. I was greeted with silence. The only sound coming from my labored breathing. Get up. I bit my lip and shifted my weight, preparing to move from my knee to my foot. It would have been so much easier if I had two working legs, but the simple fact was I didn't. I couldn't let that stop me, though. The gate was right there, a mere twenty or so feet away. I could walk that easily. I had to. I gave one more shove against the ground and stifled a cry as I felt something poke into the heel of my hand. I managed to get to my feet and turn my hand over to look at it, see if anything was sticking out. 
There was a thick thorn that I quickly yanked out of my flesh and dropped to the ground, not letting myself think about it too much. The rest of my hand was covered in dirt and bits of dead leaves and a dark liquid that I think was my blood or maybe whatever had been on the branch I'd tried to grab. I wiped on my jeans and clenched my teeth. I couldn't worry about it yet. I took one limping step. Come back! I heard Angie's voice call out from behind me. She sounded like she was crying. My eyes shut tight, and I fought the urge to turn around. No, I whispered to the air. Becca, don't leave me, Angie pleaded. Don't turn around. It's not her. Keep moving forward. You're almost there. My knee tried to buckle as I took a second step. My arm shot out to the sides for balance, the bloodied hand slamming into the trunk of a tree. I winced, but took a third step, and then a fourth and a fifth. Instead of looking over my shoulder, I chewed on my lip and hummed a melody to myself, one that I'd forgotten the name of. It was slow, steady, and broken, coming from my throat. But it helped. It gave me something to focus on other than my best friend's calls to me. After what felt like the longest few moments of my life, I arrived at the gate and fell to my knees before it. The jarring pain to my injured knee bested only by my relief. I reached out with both of my hands and felt the cool metal against my hot, sweaty and dirty palms. You made it. The air already felt a little easier on my lungs, and I smiled, no longer humming. And she still yelled for me. She still cried, begged and pleaded. But it wasn't her, and I couldn't go back. I couldn't stay like she wanted me to. Like it wanted me. I'm sorry, I said through tears as I leaned my head against the bars of the gate. I'm so sorry. There was a scream that broke through the trees and hurt my head. I groaned and grabbed my ears, trying to muffle the sound. It only lasted a few seconds, but echoed in my mind. When I let go of my head, I wasn't sure if I was imagining the warm feeling dripping out of my left ear, or if my eardrum had ruptured. It didn't matter right now. I still had to get through the gate. I used my remaining strength to stand up and lift the latch that held it shut. The metal creaked but swung open, away from me, with a gentle push, coming to a stop against a pile of leaves and soil. I stumbled through the opening and took a deep breath of air that didn't feel heavy or difficult. Once more I collapsed to the ground, this time more careful not to fall with any weight onto the bad knee. I rolled over and sat down, then laid on my back and closed my eyes, savouring the clean air filling my lungs. I had made it. I was out. I could finally breathe. I'm not sure how long that lasted, but I felt safer now that I was on the other side of the gate. I was safe. Hey, silly. What you doing on the ground? Did you fall again? I heard Angie say from above me. My heart stopped. No. I opened my eyes. There she was, unharmed, alive, standing above me with that damn mischievous smile. Come on, we aren't even that far from the gate. The guys are waiting for us, but they aren't going to wait long, and we have to find something to prove we went deeper than anyone else, she said, and gently kicked my foot. What? 
I heard myself say. It isn't enough just to go through. I thought you were the tougher twin, Angie said, repeating the exact words she'd spoken before. I felt like I was experiencing deja vu. I pushed myself up onto my elbows and looked at her. Angie? I asked. Yeah, Bex, she said with an inquisitive smile. I stared at her in disbelief and glanced past her to see Travis and John inspecting some of the lower branches of a tree. Seconds ticked by that felt like minutes. I finally broke the gaze and looked at her outstretched hand, slowly placing mine in it. As I stood, I paid attention to my leg. My jeans were torn and dirty, and when I tried to bend my knee or put weight on it as I stood, I was met with sharp pain. I didn't understand. I looked back at Angie and saw her face grow dark. Her smile twisted into something sinister. The air pressed down onto me again and my heart pounded against my ribcage. I shook my head and then looked around frantically. My eyes found the gate again. There it was, a mere twenty or so feet away. I could walk that, easily. It was opened outward, stopped against a pile of leaves and soil. The metal creaked but moved smoothly. With a resounding clang, the gate swung shut. After that, there was a single entry after a blank page that reads, They're still there. I'm still there. I never left. I'm still in the forest. I have to go back. I have to find them. Oh, God, I'm still there. Two more blank pages separated this from the note that she left me. The note addressed to me read as such. Abby, there are things in this world that are not spoken of or understood. I hope you can try to at least understand why I have to go back. I lost our brother that day, along with Angie and John. Their bodies were never found, and I dream of Travis every night. I have to know why. I have to find him. I have to bring him home. Or I have to die trying. Please forgive me, and please help Mom and Dad move on. If I see you again, I hope things will be better. Well, I don't expect that whatever is out there will let me leave a second time. Please understand why I have to do this, and why I'm so very sorry, and will be for the rest of my days, no matter how few they might be. I especially want to apologize that I had to take your car. I don't have enough money to find a bus that far, and... I'm begging you not to hate me for it. I'll leave directions to where you can find it. Keys inside. Your sister, always. Becca. I didn't know what to think or how to feel when I read the short notes. I wasn't even initially pissed that she'd taken my car. I felt a sadness permeate deep in my heart at the thought of what my sister could be feeling, but even more than that, I felt shocked and oddly unnerved. I told myself over and over that she'd been through something horrific and it had broken her mind, that what she'd described couldn't be real. I told myself it was just the way her brain was trying to cope with what had actually happened. I couldn't shake the feeling, though, that there was something more. It made me wish I had more details about what had happened and could talk to her more. Aside from her decision to go back to that forest in my car, she'd seemed pretty normal while she was here. Could they have possibly let her out when she wasn't ready? Could all that time in the institution not have been enough for her to be back in the real world? 
Well, I purposefully left out the direction she gave, so no one else will go searching for the area. Without giving too much away, I will say that it was more than one state over, and Becca indicated that it would be left at a specific motel. How close this was to her final destination, I wasn't sure. But I knew it would have to be close enough for her to manage on foot. I made arrangements with a friend of mine, Ben, to catch a ride on his way home for the summer, which was thankfully in that same general direction. Well, he seemed excited about the prospect of a road trip. I'll spare you the details of planning, including our friend Vanessa. If not for the circumstances surrounding the journey, I would have been more excited. As it was, I just hoped that my car would be there in one piece, even after almost a week of being left at the motel. So, um, your sister's crazy? Ben asked as the last bits of the city began to fade around us into the background days later. Benjamin! Vanessa chided and slapped his shoulder from her spot in the back seat. Oh, what? he said, glancing back at her. I sighed and turned my head to look at him. She was in a mental institution, yes, I said. For what? Ben asked. Ben! Vanessa repeated. It's okay, Ness. I figured this would come up and it's not like it's really difficult for me to talk about. I just usually don't because it's an awkward subject and people react weird, I said to her, glancing over my shoulder. Well, he still doesn't need to be so rude about it, she said. She plopped back in her seat and briefly scowled at him. Oh, sorry, Ness, Ben said, a sheepish smile on his face. So, um, you want to know the sordid history of my family? I asked. Sure, if you want, he said. This time I looked directly at Vanessa for her answer. She shrugged and gave me a sympathetic look. The most anyone knew about my past, excluding my family members, was that there was something that kept me from talking about my history and family much at all. It wasn't that I was specifically keeping a secret or anything. I just hated the pity I was met with when I explained even just what I knew. The few times I'd told anyone while growing up, it was as if all of a sudden eggshells appeared around me that everyone felt the need to be careful around. They stopped treating me the same and it was frustrating and made me feel lonely. Well, I had an older brother and sister. They were twins and seven years older than me. When they were fourteen and I was seven, they went on a trip with their two best friends and one of their families. I think it was Angie's family. Travis and Becca, my brother and sister, and these two friends, Angie and John, went into some forest. Well, all I know about what happened is that my sister was the only one who was found. The other three were never found, but presumed dead. I never got any details other than what my sister wrote in this journal thing before she left the other day, but that's only a little bit of it, and had to be from her imagination. After it all happened, my sister was institutionalized, and we moved. I pretty much grew up an only child after that. Becca was just released a couple of months ago, I explained. Wait, she was in there since she was fourteen? How long was that? Ben asked. Twelve years. It was pretty traumatic for her, and from bits and pieces of conversation I heard from my parents... Whenever she seemed to be getting better, she'd have another breakdown. That was, of course, until she was finally let out, I said. That's horrible, Vanessa said. I felt her hand reach out and squeeze my arm gently. I shrugged. 
I was young enough that it honestly didn't affect me too much. I mean, it was weird, of course, and I had to go to therapy for a while, but kids can bounce back easier than adults. Oh, shit, dude. And as soon as she got out, she stole your car? Ben asked. Well, I couldn't help but let out a brief and awkward chuckle. (laughs) She was with our parents for two months, but then she showed up at my door randomly, unexpected. She was gone the next morning with my car, and just this notebook that had almost nothing in it except a small piece of the puzzle from her messed up mind, oh, and a note as to where I could find the car. Did she say where she was trying to go? Vanessa asked. Mm, kind of. She said she had to go back from the journal entry before the note. I'm pretty sure she's talking about the forest where everything happened, I said. Why the hell would she go back there? Ben asked. Oh, I don't know. From what she wrote, well, she seems... I searched my mind for the best word to describe it. Haunted, I guess. Did she write about the forest itself or anything? Vanessa asked. Well, she wrote about a gate in the forest, and it seems like they'd heard about it before. Here, let me just read it to you, I said. I pulled the journal from my backpack that I'd stored in the floorboard of the car next to my feet. I opened it and proceeded to read the entry to them. They both sat in silence for a moment after I concluded reciting what my sister had written. Do you think she could have been telling the truth? Ben finally asked. Huh? I responded. I mean, like, there's tons out there we don't know about. You know, mysteries and whatnot. Do you think what she wrote could have been real? He asked. I think... I trailed off. I... I hadn't fully let myself consider that as an option. I could have been called a skeptic beforehand, but for some reason having that question posed to me from an outside source made me seriously consider the existence of something sinister or supernatural in the world, something I'd never taken the time to truly think about. Do you really think something like that's possible? Vanessa asked from the back seat once I didn't answer. Ben shrugged. Maybe, I mean, I hate to get all heavy and shit, but... How many things have you seen or heard about that just can't be explained logically? I haven't seen any ghosts or anything like that, but I guess I've always wondered if there could be out there. There were a few haunted spots in my hometown, but I never had any solid proof that they had ghosts. Well, I never had any that weren't ghosts either. So, opinion's still open, isn't it? Think of all the stories and myths we were told since the beginning of time. What if some things are explainable and some things simply aren't? At least... Not as we know it. Your nerds showing through, Nessa said. Look, whether or not ghosts are real or there's a killer forest out there, well, something fucked up and creepy happened out there. That's as much as I can say I believe right now. I don't know what happened, but three out of four people died or disappeared. Maybe it was a bear or a wolf or something. Who knows? But something broke Becker's mind, I said. Should we, um... Should we check it out while we're there? Ben asked, apprehensively. Are you out of your damn mind? Vanessa squealed. What? I mean, if her sister is in some woods, wouldn't it be the right thing to try and find her and bring her home and get her help? And if we happen to see something spooky, then we'll have a story to tell, right? He said. There is potentially something that killed children in that forest. And you want to go looking for it? Vanessa said. We'd be looking for Becca, not the killer beast or whatever, Ben replied. I felt him glance over at me. 
That'd probably be a job for someone like the police or search and rescue, not three college kids who don't know the first thing about the wilderness, she said. Hey, I was a Boy Scout for a couple of years. Do you even know how to start a fire, Boy Scout? She shot back. Ben didn't answer, and after a few seconds of no response, Vanessa made a hmm noise, as if making sure he knew her point was made. We drove along in silence for about ten minutes. I stared out of the passenger window, a jumble of thoughts and questions running through my mind. Finally, I broke the silence. Let's do it, I said. Do what? Vanessa asked. Let's see if we can find this forest and gate or whatever. Let's try to find Becca, I said. Ben smiled wide, excited at the prospect of a spooky adventure and probably at the idea of him being some sort of a hero. Really? Vanessa asked. Yeah, really, I said in response, and I heard her sigh deeply. Okay, but if I die, I'm haunting both of you, she said. Operation Rescue Becca is a go, Ben said, thrusting a fist in the air. I rolled my eyes and let out a soft laugh. If I was going to explore any creepy woods in search of my sister, I couldn't think of anyone who would entertain me as much to go with, that was for sure. The rest of the journey there was uneventful and not worth noting. We followed the information that Becker had left, plus directions Ben had looked up online, and we were led to a motel about ten miles outside of a small town. It's hard to believe that this motel was still in business. It wasn't that it looked particularly run down or anything, it's just that it was in such an odd and empty location. The only people who would likely stop and stay there were those on a long trip and found themselves in need of somewhere to catch some sleep late at night before hitting the road again. The elderly man greeted us warmly, and I asked him about getting a couple of rooms for the night. As he began to pull the keys from hooks behind the counter, I then proceeded to ask him about Becker and my car, as we hadn't seen it when we pulled into the lot. Oh, you're the sister, he said with a nod. That sweet girl asked if I'd look after your car until you got here. I told her it was no problem. I had a pocket in the back so it was safe. I have the keys right here, too. Can you believe she was going to leave them in an unlocked car? Hey, uh, is there a lot of theft or something around here? Ben chimed in. Oh, no, no, but you can never be entirely sure. I made it this far in life being cautious. The man smiled and handed me the car keys and keys to both of the rooms. He looked us over, thoughtfully, for a few seconds, and then added, "'You be staying long? Will you be staying long? Will be she returning here to meet you?' I shook my head. Uh, "'We should only be here a couple of nights. No, she doesn't know we're going to be staying here for a bit.' Ah, "'No bother. A surprise for her, then.' His demeanour and tone were nothing short of welcoming and friendly, and even grandfatherly but I still felt like we shouldn't give too much away. So when Ben opened his mouth to respond, I grabbed him just below his elbow and cut him off. Exactly, I answered with a beaming smile, hoping he couldn't see just how fake it was. Ah, uh, how sweet. Well, enjoy your stay, and if you need anything at all, just let Mr. Wickers know, he said, pointing a thumb to himself jovially. We found our rooms about halfway down the length of the building and took some of our necessities inside. As Vanessa and I were setting down our bags, 
Ben walked over from his room with two full bags of snacks he'd picked up on the road. Vanessa was starving and started digging in immediately, but I wanted to check out my car before eating. So while Nessa picked through the plethora of junk foods, Ben and I walked around the building and found my car. I unlocked it and opened the driver's door. Ben walked around doing a cursory inspection of the vehicle. I was sitting in the seat, the door still open, looking for any clues about anything out of place inside when he opened the passenger side and got in. It doesn't look like anything's wrong. All your tires are still here, so I guess that's a good sign, he said. I shot him a sarcastic smirk and moved my hand to slide the key into the ignition. As I turned the key to start the engine, my knuckles brushed against something. I looked down and found a small, folded piece of paper tucked in the seam of the dashboard. I carefully pulled it out and set it on my lap, opting to move the car to the front of the building before looking at it. Ben and I shared a look of curiosity, and I shrugged before shifting the car into reverse and driving it to where our rooms were. When we entered the room, we found that Vanessa had changed from rifling through the bags to having the contents dumped out on the bed all around her. Oh, suddenly hungry, I tucked the piece of paper in my pocket as we joined her, and I focused on pigging out for the moment. Hey, what was on that paper? Ben asked once we'd satisfied ourselves. I leaned back and slid my fingers in my pocket to pull out the folded slip. It was folded over twice, and when I unfolded it, I immediately saw that it had a header with the name of the motel we were at. Well, it's from here. She must have written it when she dropped off the car, I said. Ben propped himself on his elbows and gave me his full attention. I scanned the page with my eyes, not sure of what I was reading. And? Ben prompted. Oh, sorry, it just says the forest gate awaits you. Find it if you dare. The forest gate is where you'll find them, if you care. I read it aloud. There was also one final sentence included at the very bottom of the page, which I paused at and then read. Almost fifteen miles, there's a broken tree. The hell? Ben asked. Yeah, that's um, not the weirdest part. This isn't her handwriting, I said, leaning forward to hand him the note. Are you sure? he asked, taking it. I shrugged. Oh, the uh, little rhyme isn't at least. It doesn't look anything like the writing in the notebook. It looks kind of childish. He studied the paper, his brows furrowed, for a couple of minutes before looking back up at me with a confused look on his face. Vanessa leaned over and looked at it over his shoulder. Isn't this Forest Gate thing what she talked about in her journal? Vanessa asked. I nodded, without saying a word. Oh, creepy. Where'd it come from? She inquired. Uh, it was left in my car, tucked into the dashboard, I said. Oh, she visibly shuddered, and I looked at Ben, who'd been oddly quiet. He shrugged. Well, it's weird, definitely, but it gives us a sort of starting point, I guess. Well, it's late, though. I'm going to go crash. Now that sounds like a brilliant idea. Vanessa agreed. Well, just don't wake me up too early when you can't sleep and are itching to go find some scary trees, I said to Ben. He gave me a wink as he stood up. He bid us good night and went to his room. Vanessa and I chatted a little while we got ready for bed, but I was only half into it as my mind swarmed with what was on that odd little note. 
I know usually in these situations I should say something about that night being full of fitful and restless sleep with weird dreams or nightmares and worry. Well, I simply can't, though. I was tired after the trip and fell asleep quickly. I had one strange dream that left me feeling like something was off, but I forgot what was in the dream as soon as I woke up from it. Afterward, I rolled over and went right back to sleep. The next morning we realised we had to figure out just where this forest was supposed to be. As I took a shower and Ben got his car ready, Vanessa went to the front desk to see if she could find any information to help our quest. When she came back, she reported to us that there were three forests in the general area that Mr Wickers told her about. Two of them could be found by first travelling north and then choosing the correct road. The third was to the west of us. We're going to go to one of the northern ones. When we have to choose a road, we're going right and heading northeast, she announced. You knew the forest that you were talking about? I asked. Oh, no, she shook her head. But he mentioned how the one to the west is more commonly travelled by tourists, so that doesn't seem likely. And he kept talking about how the other one to the north was beautiful and a great spot to visit. When I asked him about the one to the northeast, he tried not to talk about it. Well, that makes me think it's the one we want. Right. Let's do this then, Ben said. We piled into his car and down the road we went, heading north. The further we travelled, the more nervous I felt myself getting. Ben and Vanessa chatted off and on about who knows what. I couldn't bring myself to completely pay attention to what they were saying. Before I knew it, Ben was slowing the car down and I came back to my senses after zoning out through the window for almost the entire way. I started looking round. "'curious as to why he'd chosen this specific road to turn onto. "'Is that it?' he asked, "'pointing to something off to the side of the road to the left. "'Vanessa leaned forward, "'bracing herself against both the front seats "'and peering around Ben to see where he was pointing. "'I looked as well, and sure enough, "'it was what could be best described as a broken tree. "'It looked almost like two different trees in one. "'It was old, with gnarls and knots in the wood.' and could have been struck by lightning at some point. Well, that was a theory I had in my mind as to why the tree was split down the middle. Half of it looked dead, or almost dead, covered in dark, peeling bark, with bare limbs that sagged and roots that jutted out of the ground. It looked like it was bending down and raising to curl in on itself, away from the healthy half. The living side still flourished with bright green leaves and lighter, stronger bark. The tree itself sat alone next to the entrance to a side road, but in the distance behind it, the trees became dense. Well, it's definitely a broken tree, Nessa said. I shrugged without a word. Ben turned onto the road and we found ourselves coming down a slight hill, revealing the forest even more and a small sign that labelled the forest and indicated a nearby campground. The sign looked old, and I had the thought that no one, aside from Rebecca, had laid eyes on that sign in who knows how long. Despite the bright sun that day, the further into the trees, it appeared the light diminished quite a bit. It was ominous and only added to my buzzing nerves. Ben drove the car as far into the trees as it would go, stopping at a small clearing that dead-ended with the forest. After he shut off the engine, he looked at me. So, what now? he asked me. Why are you asking me? I responded. Well, Operation Rescue Becker is all about your sister, so you're in charge, he said. That means I'm supposed to know what to do? 
I asked. He shrugged. Looks like there's a path over there, Vanessa said, pointing to a thin spot in the trees. We got out of the car and began down the path. It was well-tread and led us to another clearing. There was a wooden table, the type with benches attached on each side. It was clearly old and I wondered how long it might have been there. I walked to it and looked at the markings carved into the top of it. There were crude words, initials, and a single word of DON'T in large letters. Vanessa joined me in looking at the table for a while. Hey guys, I think it's this way. Ben's voice cut into my thoughts. He was standing at the edge of the clearing opposite the table. Vanessa and I walked over to where he stood and looked into the trees. How do you know? Vanessa asked. Well, it's not a trail specifically, but it looks dead, Ben said. We looked at the ground and saw a thin path of dirt and brown grass. We all shared a look and I realized that they might also share some of my fear and concern. It was different when we decided why we were on the road, but now, being here amongst the trees that had claimed the life of my brother, the sanity of my sister and two of their friends, it felt suddenly and painfully real. Even more than that, it felt dangerous. No matter what had happened those years ago, whether supernatural or not, there was something in these unknown woods, and we weren't prepared. Well, it took less time than expected for us to follow the path and come to a gate. The infamous Forest Gate. It wasn't anything spectacular to look at, but gave off an unnerving vibe. It was a simple thing, made of plain metal, stretching across the makeshift path in a section that widened a little. It looked as if the gate itself had been made to fit the space between the trees. We approached the metal anomaly, and as I studied it, I saw that there was a bar on the inside of it, as if to keep things, or people like us, from going through. Not much good that'd do, huh? Ben said, wiggling his fingers in the space between the two bars, showing that a hand can easily fit through to unlatch the bar. I looked at him for a split second, then furrowed my brow, looking back at the gate. Uh, guys, Vanessa said. Unlike Ben and I, she was looking at the tree to the left of the gate. I pivoted and took a step closer to get a better look at what she pointed at. She was indicating the spot where the supporting bit of iron fencing met the tree. There was no gap between metal and wood. The simple metal bars were coming directly from the tree. The top of the fencing poked through the trunk, at about eye level to me, and continued its arch, breaking only where the gate section was to allow it to swing open. I followed it with my eyes and saw that it was the same on the other side. Somehow it was part of the trees, jutting out of them as if it were something natural. Nessa touched the area around the puncture gently and pulled her hand back, showing us her fingertips which were covered in a shiny, deep, red, sticky substance. She looked between the two of us with a confused and slightly alarmed expression. I couldn't shake the feeling that the tree was sort of bleeding where the metal came out of it. What the hell was this? The sudden screeching tore my attention away from the gate and made the three of us look around, searching for the source. It was a cacophony of bird-like calls, croaks and whistles. There was no harmony to it, just a blast of birds calling out at once. 
the din a mash of different tones. I couldn't see anything making the noises, but I was sure they were coming from in front of us, beyond the gate. I started to open my mouth to ask the others if they'd seen anything, when a new sound froze the blood in my veins. Mixed in with the discordance of the roaring multitude, there was a human scream. I distinctly heard a woman's voice shriek the name Travis, and then devolve into a howl of pain. Part two. Abby, Ben yelled after me. I didn't think I couldn't. All I could do was react. I shoved my hand between the bars of the gate and pushed the bar up, unlatching it, before I swung the heavy iron toward me. It scraped against the ground, which slowed it down a bit, but it still came open without much struggle. Before I could begin to think if I was doing the right or smart thing, which I wasn't, I threw myself through the gate and began running down the path. I'd never been so reckless in my life, and even today I can't explain what it was that evoked such a response. I'd love to say it was some sort of familial bond or duty, but I can't say that for certain. All I knew at that moment was my brother's name had been called out, and I needed to find out who had screamed it, hoping it was Rebecca. I had no idea where I was going and it took me a moment for that realisation to come to mind. I stopped, only a few yards past the gate, and turned around to see my friends apprehensively stepping through. As they silently joined me, both shaking their heads at my impulsive behaviour, I took a moment to look at my surroundings. It was much of the same as from the other side of the gate. The most notable difference so far was that the path of dead grass that had widened for the gate itself stayed just as wide. Okay, one, are you fucking insane? And two, that was really weird, Nessa said as they closed the gap with a few final steps. Someone's yelling my brother's name. I think it was a little more than weird, I said. I meant the birds, she said, pointing to the leaves all above our heads. Yeah, they were pretty loud. Did you hear it, though? Did you hear Travis's name? I answered. Well, I meant how they suddenly stopped when you went through the gate. Yeah, we both heard someone shout something, she said. Her eyes narrowed at me, and I could tell she was trying not to be too upset with my recklessness. I paused and looked up. I still couldn't see any of the birds or hear any flutter of wings, but the silence hit me. I was a little confused as to how I'd missed the change from blaring noise to complete silence. The only sound left was the rustling of leaves from the slight breeze. "'What in the hell were you thinking?' Ben chided. Well, I had no response for him other than a simple shrug. He glared at me disapprovingly. "'Are you scared, Ben?' Vanessa asked. He rolled his eyes at her. "'No, but it was still stupid. She could have tripped and fallen or something,' he said. Vanessa looked at me with an expression that said, "'Told you so,' silently referring to a conversation we'd had the previous night regarding my habit of getting distracted by things and becoming a bit clumsy. Well, I didn't, I said defiantly. I knew it sounded a bit childish when I said it, but I wasn't about to let them be right. I half expected to turn on my heel and fall flat on my face just for their point to be proven, but thankfully that didn't happen. I went back around and added, But 
The voice. Abby, you can't just go charging off because you hear something that might have been a human voice, Vanessa said. I couldn't believe her uncaring attitude about this, but when I looked in her eyes, I saw panic. I couldn't help but be annoyed at her even after I had the thought that she was trying to explain it away more for herself than for me. I spun back around after rolling my eyes. I began walking with determination deeper into the trees. I heard them both sigh, but they began following me as I walked down the path, farther into the forest. I tried to stay alert to any sounds or signs or anything that my sister had been here, but a thought invaded my mind. Rebecca had been out here for almost a week now. Why did we think she'd still be in the forest or, in the worst case, even still alive. After half an hour or so of walking without a word, I realized I was hearing something. I stopped and looked around. Do you hear that too? Vanessa asked. Yeah, what is it? I replied. It kind of sounds like dripping, Ben said, his tone unsure of that guess. As we began trying to pinpoint the location of the sound, it became clear that it wasn't coming from any single direction, but all around us. By how soft the splashes were, it had to be nearby. We finally agreed to investigate to our left, and almost as soon as we stepped off the path, a bird in a nearby tree let out a hoarse laughing sound. Is the wildlife seriously mocking us? Vanessa said. Oh, maybe it knows something we don't, Ben suggested. That left me with a chilled feeling down my spine. There was no maybe about it. Any creature that lived here was in on the secret, a secret that we hadn't the slightest clue about. We traced the sound to a tree only a few steps off of the path. Its limbs were covered in a heavy black liquid that was slowly pooling on the ground as it dripped off of the end of the branches. Ben approached it and bent down to look at the puddle. He picked up a nearby twig and stuck the end in the liquid, then pulled it out, angling himself so we could see. The strange fluid stretched like watered-down molasses, but the colour was flat with no shine to it. Mm, what do you think this is? he asked us. I shrugged, and Vanessa crouched down to get a better look. It's kind of weird. Well, that's what it is, and it kind of smells like... She paused, searching her mind. Rotten milk or something. Well, if it smells gross, we should leave it alone, I said. Ben nodded and they both stood up. I turned to head back to the path. Ben let out a pain cry and I whipped round to see what had happened. The first thing I saw was his face contorted in a look of confusion, panic and discomfort. He held out his hand in front of him, palm up, examining it. Vanessa grabbed his wrist and looked at his palm. When I stepped back toward them, I saw what had happened. The twig he'd been holding somehow lodged itself in his hand. A trickle of blood seeped from around it, while the end of the stick pierced the flesh under his thumb. How the hell did you do this? Vanessa asked, moving his hand around to try and get a good look at the injury. I didn't, he said. His alarm was growing and turning into frustration. Well, what did you do then? she asked. I just stood up, and when I went to drop it on the ground, it stabbed me, Ben said. Vanessa touched the entry wound and asked about the pain in various spots. 
He shook his head every time, indicating it wasn't painful. She gripped it, being careful not to touch the liquid still on the end of the stick, and tried to pull it out. Well, he screamed and cursed. I placed a hand on his back to comfort him. Oh, it feels like you're pulling on my bone, he said through gritted teeth. Well, do you just want me to leave it in there? Vanessa shot back. He shook his head and she readjusted her stance. She gave a stronger tug on the twig and Ben howled in pain, instinctively putting a hand out to stop her from continuing. She lost her balance, not expecting him to reach out and stumble backward. It was her turn to curse and look at her own hand. Well, that little piece of shit cut me, she said, showing us her hand. Across the centre of her palm was a shallow cut with blood beading to the surface. There was also some of the black liquid around the wound. She carefully wiped her hand on her pants to rid herself of the strange substance, and when she held her palm out again for inspection, it didn't show much difference. Whatever the puddle was made from, it wasn't going to come off easily. She scrunched up her nose and made a disgusted face at this. So... "'What are we going to do about the stick?' I asked, gesturing to Ben's hand. "'Leave it,' he said quickly. I gave him an inquisitive look, and his face hardened. He didn't say another word, but began trudging to the path and then continuing on. I took a deep inhale and looked at Nessa with exasperation. She shook her head, and I could tell she was worried about him, but also didn't want to put up with him getting upset. It wasn't that Ben was an angry person?' but we'd both been around him long enough to know that when he got angry or frustrated, he became cold and rude, and nothing anyone could say would calm him down. He just needed to get over it on his own, usually. Vanessa and I let Ben lead for a while, not wanting to do anything to upset him and have his anger pointed at one of us. He was the one who'd driven, after all. He spent most of the time looking at the way in front of him or looking at his hand. After a while, Vanessa spoke up and asked if any of us thought to bring any water. She was getting thirsty. Oh, shit, Ben said, stopping and turning to face us. We caught up with him and stood there for a moment, feeling horribly foolish for not thinking anything through. Maybe there's a stream or something we can find, I said. We agreed to continue for a little bit before turning around. As if the forest was trying to answer us, we began hearing sounds of water. We broke off from the path once more and began trekking toward the source. I felt uneasy for the few minutes it took us to come upon a small creek. It was shallow, only maybe a couple of inches deep with a rocky bottom and only a few inches across. Vanessa had been the first to rush over to it, dropping her uninjured hand in to try and catch some of the water. She grunted in frustration when this proved to be a difficult task due to the small size, but her head perked up suddenly. She was looking upstream when Ben and I came to stand next to her, and we followed her gaze. There, in a span of fewer than a hundred yards, was a small pool with a waterfall flowing into it. You've got to be kidding me, I said. Let's go, Vanessa replied. Nessa, wait. This is just too weird. I mean, you say you're thirsty and suddenly we find water. It seems too convenient, I said, grabbing her arm. Oh, happy coincidence, she said, and brushed me off. She trudged in the direction of the pool while Ben and I shared a look. I could tell he was sceptical as well, 
It was nice to know I wasn't the only one feeling like this was all too odd and a bit sinister. As we followed her slowly to the water, I chanced to ask him how he was feeling. It doesn't hurt, he said, holding his hand up to his face. He looked at the stick jutting out of his skin with a puzzled expression. It only seems to be painful when it's pulled on, almost like it's a part of me. I caught my head to the side. Can I see it? He shrugged and held his hand out for me to inspect. We kept walking and I looked at the wound closely. The trickle of blood had dried by then, but also formed a ring around where the stick had entered his hand, making it difficult to get a good look at. I held his wrist with one hand and carefully touched the stick near the end opposite his skin. Can you feel that? I asked. He shook his head and I gripped it between my fingers tighter. What about that? Uh-uh. I can't feel the stick at all. It's strange. It doesn't feel like part of me on the outside, but the piece inside of me does, he said. Oh, I don't like this black gunk so close to an open wound. Can I try something and... You have to promise not to kill me if it doesn't work. I paused my walking, and he did the same, turning to face me. Sure, he said, a bit apprehensively. I gripped the stick about halfway down with both hands. Being careful not to jostle it, and mostly holding it secure with my left hand, I braced my right thumb under it and attempted to snap the twig in two. I expected him to scream, or the twig to resist, but it broke easily. I tossed the dirtied end away from us and looked at him for any sign of discomfort or pain. He seemed physically unfazed by my action, which I was glad for. Guys, you've got to come taste this water. Vanessa's voice came from the edge of the pool. We turned our attention to her and the water had approached. I still felt uneasy about the entire situation and the coincidental good fortune. Vanessa was crouched down, cupping the water in her hands, and then gulping it as quickly as she could. I bent down beside her, and Ben did the same on her opposite side. He put his good hand in the liquid and cupped a bit of it, bringing it as close to his face as he was able to before it all drained out. He shrugged and said to me over Vanessa's head, Looks okay. Just as I was about to cut my own hands in the pool to satisfy my thirst, we all heard a woman yell, Don't! I froze and looked around, searching for the person. I was almost certain the voice had belonged to my sister. Who's there? Ben shouted. Don't drink the water, the voice yelled back. It sounded like it was bouncing off different points, making it impossible to tell just where it was coming from. One word came from our right. Another from the waterfall almost directly in front of us, the third from behind us, and the last one from the pool itself. Alarmed, I stood up and began scanning our entire surroundings. Instead of finding my sister, though, I saw a small hand gripping the rocky outcropping that the waterfall flowed from. Hey! I yelled to whoever was there. Childlike giggling came in response. At this, Vanessa froze mid-sip, and Ben joined me in standing. All of our eyes were fixed on the hand. You should drink the water. It's delicious, and you're so thirsty, a kid's voice said. It was calm and sweet, sounding innocent and genuine. Who are you? 
I asked loudly. Who are you? it asked back. The hand moved down the rocks and a face peeked out from the side. It felt like my blood stopped in my veins. Travis? I asked. There was no way it could be my brother, but he looked just like I remembered. He looks identical to the boy in my photo. Travis? The boy mimicked me once more, stepping further out. I could now see his entire body, his entire child-sized body. It was as if he hadn't aged a single day. We locked eyes, and I felt my own begin to well up with tears. I felt Ben and Vanessa looking at me, but I couldn't tear my sight away from my big brother, who stood as he had been all those years ago, across the pool from us. How? I stammered. Drink the water, he said with a wide smile. His feet shuffled and moved him to the edge of the pool. I noticed then that he was barefoot. I'm not sure why that detail stuck with me at that moment, but it felt odd that he would be barefoot in the forest. His eyes shifted from mine to Vanessa's. I glanced down at her and saw her head turn to face him. He repeated himself. Drink the water. She nodded slowly and reached down to get herself another handful of it. Bells and whistles and sirens were going off in my mind, but I couldn't quite figure out why. This just felt off. It felt wrong. Something wasn't right. I looked back at Travis and saw him slipping into the pool. He didn't remove any of his clothes and didn't blink as his eyes fixed on Vanessa. Everything seemed to happen simultaneously in slow motion and too quickly. He was in the water completely before I entirely comprehended what he was doing. Vanessa kept retrieving the water and feeding it to herself as his head disappeared under the surface with barely a ripple. Fed up with her slow progress, Vanessa laid on her stomach and stuck her face into the pool, taking large gulps like a fish. Nessa, Ben said in a low voice. She didn't respond, only continuing to down the water as quickly as she could. He repeated her name with more force and bent down to touch her shoulder. Nessa. She shrugged the shoulder he touched to shake him off. Instead of giving up, he gripped her shoulder and attempted to pull her away from the water. Her body was tugged slightly but didn't move from where she laid on the ground. I looked at her, confused at her sudden strength. She had one hand digging into the soft dirt at the edge of the water and another outstretched before her, submerged from the elbow down. I positioned myself to help and gave Ben a nod. We both grabbed her, Ben under her armpits while I held onto her waist, and pulled back as hard as we could. Her body dislodged from her place on the ground, and she shrieked. Her body jolted and twisted as she fought against us, trying to get back to the water. I struggled to hold on to her despite her efforts to make me lose my grip. As I did so, I caught a glimpse of something black, and did a double take. The section of her arm that had been in the pool was black now, covered with that sticky slime that had been dripping off of the tree. It had a firm grip on her, and unlike before, it was thicker and held itself together, stretching but not breaking. That's when I lost my hold of her and dropped her waist.
This offset Ben, and he stumbled, dropping her to the ground in a seated position. She crawled forward, back to the pond. What the hell, Abby? Ben exclaimed. I pointed at her arm. Look! We both stepped forward and watched as a thin black liquid seeped up her arm to her shoulder, slowly, becoming thicker as it stayed in the air for a few seconds. Go on, then. Drink the water, the little boy's voice said. I jumped, having been distracted enough by what was happening with Vanessa to have momentarily forgotten my brother had gotten into the water. I looked up from my friend to see the child's head peeking out of the water, his bottom lip barely touching the surface as he spoke. My eyes widened as I took in his new visage. He still had my brother's face, but the skin was discoloured, taking on a pale blue tint. His hair had somehow grown longer and was shaggy, falling around his face in wet, greasy-looking clumps. His eyes had lost all colour and distinction of humanity, becoming orbs of white streaked with pale green veins in the corners. Ben, I said, Hearing my own voice felt alien to me right then. It was full of fear. Don't drink the water. The female voice from before came once again. Vanessa continued to gulp it down while Ben and I took hesitant steps back. The little boy glided toward Vanessa as if he didn't have to paddle or kick in order to move through the water. Barely a ripple was made as he closed in on her. I watched as he lifted an arm above the pool. It was covered in dark green sludge, and I saw where it engulfed his wrist, then stretched out to connect with the black that now covered all of Vanessa's arm and was making its way down her torso and around her neck. He disappeared under the water once more. Vanessa! Ben yelled for her. What? she demanded, breaking from her incessant drinking to snap her head around and look at us. Ben pointed at her arm, and she seemed to break out of whatever day she'd been in. Her face changed into one of sheer terror. Help me, she said in a soft, wavering voice. I darted forward, grabbing her feet as Ben grabbed her waist this time. She struggled against whatever it was that was keeping her prostrate on the watery bank, reaching her free hand back and trying to pull against the force. With barely a sound, the boy rose in front of her his grin slowly getting wider to show rotten and crooked teeth. In a split second, he grabbed her by the shoulders and pulled her under with unusual strength for a child. They both vanished below the surface in an instant. Not expecting it, Ben and I were both thrown off kilter, and Vanessa slid into the water. I tried to rush to the edge of the water, but Ben grabbed me and held me back while that damn voice sounded once again. Stay away from the water, she said over and over. It became a dead-toned drone, bouncing off of every surface near us. I was pulled back even as I flailed and called for Vanessa. Once we were in the trees, far enough for Ben to feel comfortable, but close enough that we could just barely make out the waterfall and pool, he let me go and I fell to my knees, panting and crying. We have to get out of here. Ben said after a few moments. I'd calmed down a little, but I couldn't bring myself to speak. I nodded. Screw this forest. 
Screw my crazy sister who'd led me here. Screw whatever the hell that kid pretended to be my brother was. Screw that pond. Screw all of it. We began walking through the trees back to the path as we remembered it. It took a few minutes to find, but once we did, we headed in the opposite direction that we'd been travelling before. We didn't speak for a long time, not until we saw the gate ahead of us. What authorities do we call? I asked him. I looked up at his face as we walked. There was something there I hadn't seen before, some sort of haunted and crushed expression. I don't even know. We can figure that out when we get to the hotel. I'm sure Mr. Wickers will have some sort of idea, he said. His voice was quieter than normal. When we reached the gate, Ben unlatched it and pushed it open with one hand, gesturing for me to walk through before him with his other. What happened next is something I will never be able to explain. I can't say it was my fault, or that it wasn't some external force that caused it. To this day I wish I knew exactly what happened and what made me trip, whether myself or an errant tree root or whatever. As I stepped through the metal barrier, my feet betrayed me and I lost my balance, landing hard on the ground before me. Ben propped the gate with his foot and leaned down to give me a hand up. I took it and stood, brushing myself off. Of course you would fall down now, Ben said. I couldn't help but let out a chuckle, and he did the same. After something traumatic, or after a period of sadness, depression, anger, anxiety, or anything negative, I think the body needs to laugh, and will try to find humour in something, anything, to alleviate the weight it's been feeling. Laughter relaxes and calms the body, so it's no wonder that after being tensed up, the smallest thing can make you smile. Your mind has to be in a prime state for this, though, I've found. Usually you have to be ready to let go of the pain, or you have to be exhausted enough that your mind isn't functioning the same as it has been. By then I'm certain both my mind and Ben's have become weary and strained. Our chuckles became full-blown laughter. Before long, though, I began to cry as I laughed. The guilt rushed over me, and I felt utterly helpless and responsible. Ben pulled me close and wrapped his arms around me, hugging me tightly. I needed it, and I think he did too. I hugged him back, and we stood there, holding each other for a moment or two before I took a deep breath and detached. Guys, you've got to taste this water. Vanessa's voice came from the distance. I shook my head and we both turned to see her crouch next to the pond. No, I said. Ben's hands gripped my shoulders tighter than he meant to, but he continued staring at Vanessa. Don't drink the water, the mysterious voice that sounded like Rebecca said from nowhere and everywhere. No, 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 I repeated as Ben turned his head to look at me. His eyes met mine and mirrored the terror that I felt. He dropped his hands from my shoulders and we immediately bolted for our friend. Vanessa! We both screamed at her. What? What's with you guys? She asked, looking up at us from her squatting position. In the pool, just past her, ripples formed beneath the surface. A shaggy head began to emerge from the water. 
Vanessa heard it and turned her head to look. Drink the water. You're so thirsty, he said as his face came full into view. Vanessa nodded wordlessly and lay down on her stomach, facing the water, gulping it down like a fish. Part 3 When I read my sister's writing in that notebook describing having made it to the gate and then finding out she was right back where she started, I thought it was all in her head. That just wasn't something that happened. Our logical world doesn't work that way. I was sure it had to have all been in her mind. She was broken by what she'd experienced, not to mention she'd been a child. Trauma can do wild and strange things to anyone's psyche, especially a kid's. She was 14 and had lost her best friends and her twin brother. What mind wouldn't be a shattered mess after something like that? Once I experienced it for myself, though, I knew that she hadn't been imagining things. The time jump was real. Only it didn't play out exactly as it had before. It was quicker the second time. Before we could even reach Vanessa, the boy in the water grabbed her and yanked her in, more violently than before. His head didn't disappear immediately like the first time either. He lingered there, his sick smile showing just above the water for at least ten seconds before he sank down and was gone from sight. Gate, now, Ben said without hesitation. We took off, following our memories from just a short time ago. We ran until my legs began to ache and the air burned in my chest. Wait, I said, slowing down and coming to a stop. I doubled over and tried to catch my breath. We have to get out of here, Ben said. His tone was flustered and I knew he was trying to rush us, but his words came between panting indicating he needed to take a moment as well. It was then that I noticed how much darker our surroundings were getting. I looked at the sky and searched for the sun. It was hard to find, but I finally spotted it through the dense canopy, sinking lower into the sky. Is the sun setting? I asked. Ben looked where my eyes were trained. It, uh, I think it might be, he said. How the hell is that possible? We've only been here for a couple of hours, tops, I said. How is any of this fucking possible? He shot back. When I looked at him and he met my eyes, his face turned from angry to sheepish, and I assumed he hadn't meant to say it so harshly. Let's walk, at least, I said. We can recoup while still moving. He nodded solemnly, and we began walking the path once again. I hoped it would be for the final time. I wanted to be rid of this place. Where my mind had been awash with thoughts and questions on our way into the forest, this time I felt numb and had only one thought. Get to the gate. Even if I tried to think of anything else, I simply couldn't. My brain had shut down and become focused on a single thing. Survival. In this case, surviving meant that we had to get to that damn gate and make sure we left the forest this time. Well, this time the journey to the gate felt like it was taking longer than before, despite our running the first stretch of it. As we moved along, I regretted not having any way to tell time other than the sun, which seemed to stop moving now. I had no idea how long we were walking, but my legs ached worse than they ever had, and I felt my body becoming more and more exhausted with each step. I began to doubt my ability to even get to the entrance. 
I was thirsty, hungry, and ready to scream when Ben stopped suddenly and faced me. He held a finger up, keeping me quiet, and then pointed to his ear. What now? I whispered. Again, the forest deemed my inquiry needed a rapid response. If I had been in the mood to think of anything other than our predicament, I might have made a joke at some point, asking for a pile of money or something along those lines. The sounds of wings flapping began to encircle us, above our heads. Before, when we'd heard the birds, we'd failed to see any. Oh, this time they were perfectly clear. Dozens, if not more, giant black birds were perching themselves on branches around us. Even after landing, they continued to batter the air with their wings in our direction. I gave Ben a confused look before turning my attention back to the flying creatures. A combined amount of them, all with their unyielding wings, made the area around us grow darker. I watched as they lifted their heads to face the tops of the trees and began to call out to something unseen. Then, in a flash, they started diving down, one by one at first, then by twos, increasing their assault as the seconds ticked by. I covered my head with my hands, but the skin on my arms was open to their sharp beaks. I dropped to the ground and tried to get a look at Ben, who did the same. I couldn't get a good look at him while trying to protect as much of myself as I could, but I did glimpse blood running down his arms. I wasn't in that position for very long before I felt Ben reach out and grab one of my wrists. I hollered in pain, but allowed him to yank me up and along the path. The roaring and downward swoops from the flock didn't let up for several minutes. I couldn't cover my face very well as we ran, and blood and tears stung my eyes as I incurred stinging pecks. We ran for several minutes before the birds stopped their barrage. We slowed to a jog, and then to a walk. Once we were sure we couldn't hear any bird calls or wings flapping, we stopped to catch our breath and rest. Ben looked at me, and I saw that his face and arms were a bloody mess. It was impossible to tell where exactly the skin had been punctured. You look horrible, I said. I was concerned, and now that the adrenaline was wearing off, becoming frightened. And you look like a ray of goddamn sunshine, he retorted. I looked down at my arms and sighed, too worn out and emotionally weary to laugh, even though part of me wanted to. If we ever get out of here, I'm never stepping foot in a forest again, I said, leaning against a tree for support. When leaning didn't serve to help my throbbing legs, I sat down with my back against the tree. When, Ben said, when, get I'm not dying in these fucking trees. He sat next to me and took my hand in his. His touch pained my injured body, and I could tell from his wincing that it pained him as well. I wiped the blood, sweat, and tears away from my eyes with my other hand, and leaned my head on his shoulder. "'Promise me something,' he said. "'What?' I asked. "'That one day you'll forgive me,' he said. This made me lift my head and look him in the eye. I searched his face, confused by what he meant. "'Forgive you for what?' I asked. He looked at me with an expression that was equal part stern and downtrodden as he spoke. For us coming out here. No. I shook my head gently. It's my sister, and it was my decision, remember? 
He turned his head away from me as he let himself drift through his mind. I laid my head back on his shoulder with another sigh, gently placing my free hand over the one he had entwined with my other. Everything leading up to this point began to replay in my head, and I tried to figure out which point we could have turned back and been fine, which point would have meant Vanessa was still alive. I felt myself begin to cry again, even though I fought against it as hard as I could. My head was aching, and my chest felt tight. Ben stood up and carefully prompted me to do the same, my hand still in his. I followed his lead and we walked silently. I hadn't realized before that somehow we'd managed to stay on the path as we fled the sinister winged legion. I wasn't sure if we were going in the right direction, though. Are we going the right way? I asked. My voice sounded smaller than I intended. Ben slowed for just a second as he glanced at me. I... I really don't know, but it seems like it's best just to keep moving. I nodded and focused on putting one foot in front of the other. I felt like I was numb and in a haze. I even began wondering if we were still alive or if this was some sort of afterlife torment and we died in a car crash or something before we even reached the motel. I couldn't keep any thoughts in order, and my mind kept jumping and grabbing at bits and pieces of the entire trip. Aside from watching my own feet move along, I barely noticed anything around me until the sound of rushing water started to infiltrate the silence. It took me a few moments to understand what I was hearing in my current state, but once I did, I stopped. Ben, still holding my hand, was forced to stop too, and turned to look back at me. Can you hear that? I asked him, my eyes searching the trees to our right for the sound. Is that water? It was obvious he hadn't noticed it until I pointed it out. I think it's coming from over there, I said, and pointed. Ben let go of my hand and began walking through the trees. I followed, not knowing what else to do. Contact with the branches and leaves stung my hands and arms as I pushed through the dense foliage. The increase in sound indicated that we were getting closer to whatever water source was nearby. And the closer we were getting the more I noticed trees with that black liquid on their limbs. I did my best to avoid them and not touch, but it was difficult to keep myself free of the substance as I hurried after Ben, who seemed oddly determined to find where the water was. By the time we reached the fast-moving stream, I had black streaks on my arms and the back of my hands. My shoes were also sporting a few spots, especially around the soles, where I'd stepped in small puddles of the filth. I saw my friend stop ahead of me. When I caught up with him, he was standing on the edge of a small river, looking down into it. I joined him and looked into the water, confused by what I was seeing. The water itself was clear and we could easily pick out the jagged rocks along the bed, but something was floating on top, passing us by. I knelt down and carefully reached out to catch a photograph as it was being swept before us with the current. I looked at it closely and felt my heart drop before I held it up and gave it to Ben. In the photograph was Vanessa. She was smiling and holding a large watermelon in her arms. I recognized the picture as one I'd taken the previous summer. What the hell? I heard Ben whisper under his breath. I didn't respond to him but stretched my hand back into the water to grab another. 
fingers dipped below the surface, and the icy liquid sent needles through my entire hand as I plucked the photo from it. This one was a picture I knew all too well, the same one that I have framed on my desk to this day. I wasn't sure why, but my heart began to pound. Who's that? Ben asked me. It's Becker and Travis, I said, and then pointed at the little girl. And that's me when I was seven. How are these here? he asked, not expecting an answer, as he crouched down and began examining the pictures that continued to float by. We watched for a few minutes as images we knew, and some we didn't, from both our lives and Vanessa's passed us by. My panic grew when the photographs began to take a darker turn. They began showing images of Vanessa in the forest. Sometimes there was a part of one of us, but the main focus was always her, and always at that twisted pool where we'd lost her. They showed both versions, the, the original sequence and the second chain of events in painful, crisp detail. And then there were photos of her under the water. Her eyes were wide open and her mouth looked to be contorted in a scream. Bubbles floated around her as she reached up for the surface of the water with one hand. Her other arm, the one that had been captured by the boy, was still covered in that thick blackness, seeming to pull her down into the depths. As the images progressed, her eyes began to match the boy's, turning entirely white, losing the dark brown iris and pupil. Vine-like veins sprouted from the corners of her eyes and reached inward toward each other. Her skin began to change as well, seeming to slough off in chunks and strips, showing the muscle and tissue below. It didn't look like there was any blood, as there should have been. Her jaw went slack, still open but agape in a more relaxed way, a more dead way. The picture showed her eyes closing, jumping a few frames at a time as if taken in rapid succession. I was dry heaving inches above the river without realising until I felt Ben's arms around my shoulders pulling me back. The last few photos I saw were all the same. Vanessa's white eyes snapped open, and something looking similar to the boy from the pool with his arms wrapped around her shoulders tight, his face next to hers. His mouth was the only thing that changed between the images, appearing as if he'd been speaking. Drink the water, I heard his voice whisper. I screamed and flailed out of Ben's arms, backing away from the edge of the stream as quickly as my body would carry me in an almost crab-like walking position. He isn't here. A young voice came from behind me. I froze and slowly turned my head to face the speaker. There was a young girl standing there. I didn't recognize her, but... But the simple fact that there was another random child in the forest made me instantly afraid. I stared at her silently, unsure of whether or not to respond or run as fast as my exhausted limbs would take me. In the end, neither option won, and I remained frozen where I was, looking up at the child. She looked to be somewhere around thirteen or fourteen. Her clothes were nondescript and dirty like she'd been playing in the forest, but they weren't unkempt or torn. I jumped slightly when I felt a hand touch my shoulder. When I looked up, I saw it was only Ben. He offered a hand to me and I took it, using his steadiness to hoist myself off the ground. We stood there side by side, looking at the child in front of us. She regarded us with a calm expression and no words. 
Who are you? I asked her. She didn't respond, only stared at us blankly. I tried again. What's your name? Still nothing. Are you hurt? I asked a third question. After a moment of no response, Ben asked, Do you know how to get out of here? At this, she tilted her head to the side and looked squarely at Ben. A few seconds passed, and then she slowly nodded twice and straightened her neck once more. Can you show us? he asked. I was wary of trusting a random child in this forest, but so far she hadn't done anything to make us worry or believe she would kill us or anything. Still, it was unsettling how she refused to speak. I'd heard what I thought was her voice before, but I hadn't seen her, so now I was beginning to wonder if the voice had come from someone or somewhere else. I scanned the trees as Ben gently tugged on my upper arm, leading me through them. I looked back to see that the girl had turned around and begun to walk, presumably in the direction of the exit. We reached the path in a few minutes, and the girl stopped in the centre of it. She turned around to face us and pointed to her left. Is that where we should go? Ben asked as we closed the gap between us and the child. She nodded once with the same slow speed as before. Ben and I both looked at the path in the direction she was indicating. That will lead us... I began to ask as I turned my head back to look at her. I stopped suddenly in her absence. What the hell? Ben stepped away from me and looked around the area she'd been standing in. He walked over to the trees on one side and then the other. When he walked back to me, he shrugged. She had just vanished. So, do we trust her? I asked tentatively. I looked again to where the young girl had pointed. Well, she got us to the path. What choice do we really have? Ben said. We stood there for a moment. I'm sure he was doing the same as I was, internally debating on listening to her or going in the opposite direction. What if it's a trap? I mused aloud. I wasn't really looking for an answer and didn't realize I'd spoken until Ben responded. Ah, could be, he said. There was a rustling from behind us. Our heads whipped around to look. I saw nothing but strained my ears to listen closely. After trying to make out if it was just the wind or something else for ten or so seconds, I began to clearly hear footsteps. Alarmed, I looked up at Ben. He nodded to me. Oh, either way, it's time to go. We started walking the way she'd pointed us. Our progress wasn't quick by any means, as our bodies were more than just exhausted at that point. We picked up the pace a little when the footsteps grew a little louder. I kept looking over my shoulder, but never caught even a glimpse of what was following us. Whatever or whoever it was kept pace with us, but didn't sound as if they were trying to catch up. Only follow. In a strange way, this unnerved me even more than something attacking. At least when we were dealing with the baneful birds or the creepy child, we knew what we were up against. Being followed by a patient pursuer, however, was downright maddening and anxiety-inducing. In the end, we discovered that the little girl had been helpful. We saw the top of the gate begin to loom over the horizon of the path. The second it came into view, the footsteps behind us sped up and darted around us. I looked to where they came from, but couldn't see any person or creature. 
only rustling leaves and branches that bounced in the air, displaced by the movement past them. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Ben look at me and almost stop, but my resolve was steeled and I stared straight ahead. Whatever was going to try and stop us this time, bring it on. I was fed up with this forest and let anger surge through me. I thought of Vanessa, of my sister, of my brother and their friends. I thought of the countless souls and families this place had likely ruined. I thought of the twisted creature in the pond that appeared as my brother, but wasn't. I thought of the solemn-looking little girl who'd pointed the way for us. I thought of the birds, and of Ben and his injuries. I thought of my own bloodied face and arms and sorrow. And I was pissed. My feet picked up speed with my determined mindset, and I marched ahead, Ben trailing behind me. I didn't stop until I was a few feet away from the gate, and what, or I should say who, stood before it. I wasn't surprised to find the form of my sister there, leaning against the bars. She was the same age as I was when I'd last seen her, but her clothes were dirty and torn in places. She looked exhausted and beaten. Purple and blue bruises peeked out from under swollen and blood-encrusted gashes. Wait, she called out hoarsely. Her voice cracked from strain and dryness. She held out a hand before her, gesturing for us to not come any closer. She panted as if she was out of energy. I'm not going to be fooled by this. We're going to leave, I said. I planted my feet firmly where I stood and held my head high. Yes, yes, but you can't let them out, Rebecca said. Her hand dropped to her side and she slumped down, back against the gate. Who? Ben asked her. I only glanced at him for a split second and saw him looking all around us. I didn't want to let my eyes leave Becca for any longer, though. Them, she said. Her hand lifted barely off the ground to point behind us. I heard Ben turn and gasp. When I didn't follow suit, his hand found my arm. Abby, he said. His voice was low and tremored. I turned to look saw four children standing there. I recognized most of them. There was my brother and sister, both mirror images of their fourteen-year-old selves, and then the girl who showed us the way. The fourth was a boy I vaguely recognized, given the context. He was the other friend who disappeared, John. They all stood across the path, shoulder to shoulder. Ben took a couple of steps back while I looked between the child version of Becca and the adult version at the gate. Abby, the younger Rebecca said, stepping forward. The other three stayed back and exchanged looks between them. She smiled and gestured behind her. I found them, Abby. Don't, the adult Becca said from behind me. I turned my head to look at her. Her head was leaned back with her eyes closed. Okay, I don't know exactly what's going on here, but Ben and I are leaving. So if any of you want to get on with the attacking, can we do it already? I said to all of them. The kids looked at each other and shrugged, and then Travis spoke up. We don't want to attack anyone. We just want to go home. You can't trust them, adult Becca said. I watched anger flash across the faces of the children. Okay, 
We're going now, Ben said to me, grabbing my arm. Wait, little Becca said. Please, Abby, please take us. I found them, see? I found all of them. We can be a family again. I felt a pang of guilt for the thoughts I was having. My mind considered leaving the children and grabbing the injured Rebecca and booking it through the gate. How was I supposed to believe that the kids were real and not some trick again? How am I supposed to choose? I asked aloud in a quiet voice to no one in particular. What if we take all of them with us? Ben asked. He stood next to me, speaking quietly near my ear. I turned my head a bit to respond. They can't all be good, though, right? And how would the kids still be here after all these years? Time doesn't seem to work the same here, he shrugged. Well, you won't be able to leave until you decide, the young Angie said. I looked at Travis and remembered Vanessa. Anger rose up in me again and I turned on my heel. When I was in front of her, I reached a hand out to the adult Rebecca. She looked up at me and took my hand. She struggled to her feet and gave me a small smile. Ben joined us and lifted the latch for the gate. It opened with a creak, and we began to walk through, Ben and I on either side of Becca, helping her walk. Her legs seemed shaky and hard for her to stand on or walk with, so we walked very slowly over the threshold. But before we could make it all the way through, Becca was yanked backward out of our grasp. Becca! I yelled as I spun around and saw three of the children holding her. The fourth, the younger Rebecca, stood a few feet away, arms crossed over her chest in an angry expression. There was something deep and dark there. Ben and I lunged forward. I grabbed Rebecca and Ben kicked and pried the kid's hands away from her. They turned their focus to him and began swarming him, now with the help of the fourth child. All four of them pulled him to the ground and tried to drag him back into the trees. I turned from Rebecca to look, and she tugged me toward the gate. We have to get out, she said to me as she hobbled as quickly as she could. I'm going to get you out, then I have to get Ben, I said. We made it to the open gate and I helped her through. I pointed to a tree without a word and she nodded, understanding. She made her way on her own to the tree, while I went back for my friend. Ben was doing his best to fight off the young teens and crawl away from them. The second I reached him, I shoved Angie and kicked Travis, who had a hold of his shoulders. He kicked his leg, which John had a hold of, and I, and I grabbed Rebecca and yanked her away from his other leg. She fell to the ground with a look of surprise. She seemed taken aback by my action against her. Abby she murmured. I took the few seconds we had to get between the kids and Ben. He got to his feet and grabbed my hand. Before they could make a move, we turned around and booked it as quickly as we could to the gate. Once through, Ben held it tight and pulled it shut with a loud clang. The bar fell into place a split second before the children were on it. I saw small hands grab at it, but the latch wouldn't budge. They grunted and cursed in frustration. All except Rebecca. She stood there, face pressed against the bars. The world seemed to melt away around us as I looked at my fourteen-year-old sister. 
Sounds became muffled in my ears, and we locked eyes. Her hands gripped the bars on either side of her, and tears welled up in her eyes. She released one hand and reached through the metal. She reached out for me. Abby, she said. Her voice was small and full of sorrow. I felt Ben's hand on my shoulder, and the world rushed back to me. I looked up at him, and he gently squeezed my shoulder. I clenched my teeth and closed my eyes before turning my back to the gate. Her voices became a muddled mess of unintelligible syllables and cries. Instead of letting my heart break at the desperation I heard behind me, I helped the adult Rebecca to her feet, and the three of us walked away from the gate. I didn't look back, even once. And that was eleven years ago. After we got back to the car, we found the nearest hospital and were patched up. We were asked what had happened, but none of us gave anyone the real story. It was assumed by the bits and pieces of information, coupled with our injuries, that we'd come across some vicious animal or pack of animals in some woods. A funeral was held for Vanessa. It was the last time I saw Ben. Rebecca was committed again to the hospital, but was released in less than a year. She stayed living with our parents, till they both died in a car accident. After that, she stayed in the home, and still there. We get together sometimes, but we were never able to create a deep bond. I couldn't get past the strange feeling I had whenever I saw her. She reminded me of those children trying to free themselves at the gate, and the young Rebecca with tears in her eyes. Well, lately I've been having a harder time fighting off their memories, or drowning them in alcohol, which usually helps. That framed photo is constantly calling out to me and drawing my eyes in. It's the same with the dreams where Vanessa haunts me. They started immediately after the forest, but fizzled out for a while, becoming only something rare. Well, I've been plagued by the nightmares of her more and more recently, and I'm not sure why. Unlike before, the ones that feature her now feel more like a warning, and I wake up panicking. Sure, I can see her ghastly form dissolving into the air at the end of my bed. In a voice that sounds like she has water gurgling in her throat, Vanessa says, She's not human. She's the wrong one. Well, I hope you agree with me that that was an absolutely brilliant story for your Wednesday evening's entertainment. So glad that Bo has um, sent me another story. Um, one of the most popular on my channel, Dead Man Roman, was written by her. And there's another fantastic one um, called Black Week, which is underappreciated as far as I'm concerned. Another fantastic story from her. So I'm going to link to those in the description. Uh, quite a lot of uh, new subscribers recently. And if you haven't found your way to those stories yet, then I highly, highly recommend them. Okay? Well, I did promise that to you uh, yesterday, but, well... I underestimated how long it would take me to put this together, so you're getting it tonight. One day delay is not too bad, is it? And of course, I'll be back again with you very, very soon. Maybe tomorrow on my second channel. If not, I'll be back here again on Friday. Till then, my dear friends, very, very sweet dreams, and bye-bye.
Hey there. Thank you so much for taking the time to drop by and listen to this story today. It really means a lot to me. I put a lot of time and effort into making these videos, so it's nice to know that there's someone out there listening. Do me a little favor, would you? Click that like button, leave a comment, and if you really feel like it, why not subscribe too? Okay, happy tales everyone. See you soon.